I don't think you've ever gallivanted yeah. a day in your life. No, I really haven't. Hi, this is Stephanie Borden, FCL's fan since 2014 and Third Degree listener since 2018. Third Degree of the Podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90, your source for FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. Check out the new arrivals dropping daily. Gear from leagues around the world. Fresh Serie A, Premier League, Bundesliga, and of course, MLS and FC Dallas club merch available now. Remember, Third Degree listeners get 20% off at Soccer90.com with promo code Third Degree. Some exclusions may apply. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious Fan. Welcome to another episode numbered 158 of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, it's me, Peter. And on this digital machine called the Internet, I've got my friend Dan Crook here. Hey, Dan, howdy. Howdy. Howdy, how are you? Are you correcting me, or are you just trying hard to pronounce it like a Texan? You know, I'm not sure where the emphasis is supposed to be. It's not really a word we have, so... You're still learning how to say howdy? Yeah. yeah. Let's try it one more time. Howdy, Dan. What's up? (laughs) (laughs) And your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, editor, founder of thirddegree.net, the amazing Buzz Carrick. (laughs) Come in, Buzz. Uh, hi, Peter. Uh, that's a nice introduction, considering that I, I have to start with a correction, which Uh-oh. is not fun. Oh, is this yeah. the? Is this? Are you? Are you having to with restuff back in the Huntsman dump from last week? Yeah, Coach got me, man. He got me good. Oh uh, no! Do you think well, he did it on purpose? No, no, no. I think it's a culture barrier based on you know what what leagues and what country you guys you come from. Um, if you follow me on Twitter or Facebook or the website or whatever, I would have already posted this correction, but I feel like I have to do it on here. You remember last week I said that coach told me, I asked him about Martin Paws and how they only had him until like July and they had, and then they were going to make a decision. And coach interrupted me and said, no, we have him for the whole season. Apparently right. to him for the whole season means the European season. He meant basically what I was actually asking him. So like in his mind, he's saying, no, no, we got him for the whole season. Yeah, the whole season, no problem. He's talking about like till the end of May, you know, yeah. July. I think it's technically July. So I, why that's a barrier to communication, because I literally was saying you have him for a couple more months, you know, till July, basically. So, uh, you know, communication, language barrier, perhaps, you know, culture barrier, whatever. The bottom line is. They have pause through the end of July, basically, and they have a buy on him. They have to make a decision. So it's the same as it was before. He just got me with the emphatic end of the season thing, not meaning the end of the MLS season. Okay. Right. Well, I have a much bigger thing that I want to talk to you about. But before we get to that, that now leads me to ask the question. They're going to buy him, right? Or extend his loan or do something. There's no way they're going to let this guy leave at this point after as well as he's played and as questionable as jimmy was in the yeah. u.s open campaign i mean certainly based on performance there's no question i mean the only reason they wouldn't be is if the buy is astronomical or he just says no thanks and wants to go back to wherever he was before 
you know, which is entirely possible. People have done. I don't know. Him and that girlfriend are living pretty much the high life in Uptown right now. It looks like they just (laughs) got an apartment. I I can't imagine he's leaving anytime soon. Well, it doesn't seem like it, but I mean, you know, things as good as it's going, you know, there are other factors, but I can't imagine they're not going to. And as soon as I get another chance to talk to coach, you know, hopefully within the next couple of days, I'll try and pin him down again and also ask him why he hooked me like that. But he didn't, I didn't do it on purpose. I'm sure it's just a, Breakdown in communication. You but, think? Yeah. No, I don't I don't find him to be duplicitous. You know, he's definitely straightforward so far. Not necessarily a hundred percent an open book, but not not clowning around or messing with me or anything like that, I don't think. Okay. You know. So his girlfriend's now uh, the official spokesmodel for some perfume I, I was told on Instagram the other day. Yeah. She's kind of a big deal. I bet she smells like a candy store. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Just my guess, this you know, based on that perfume. Yeah, well, okay. Hey, uh, you sound so uncomfortable, Dan. That's, don't take it serious, my friend. Uh, all right, so I do have something, a very pressing matter that I think is of the utmost importance here on this specific podcast. I don't think there's any other podcast in the world that is as worried and as focused and is uh, honed in on this one particular topic, and that is the emerging rumor that one Thomas Roberts has returned Thomas to the mothership. Buzz yeah. Carrick, come in, Wait, Buzz. He works yeah. for the ticket? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah no, he's 100% in Dallas, spotted by many people. Uh, there's been a couple of reports that have come out that said that he's, you know, has gone back to FC Dallas early and it is loan early, and, and I can confirm that's true. So he is back early. Um, I think I'm not 100% privy to what all is going on, of course, but um, obviously in this particular case, uh, that doesn't happen if Dallas doesn't ask for him. So this is 100% my part, them asking for him to come back. Um, I think it's because they still have this problem in midfield where they have Brandon and Paxton are playing an immense amount of games, and the next couple of choices, as we saw from the Open Cup game, are just okay. Uh, and even Steve Davis mentioned that they already put Thomas on their open cup roster. He wasn't on the game day roster, but he was on their extensive open cup roster. So they were already anticipating he would be back for, you know, relatively quickly hmm. for this sequence of stuff. So he is back. I'm sure he'll get every chance out there to uh, get a shot, to get time and games in midfield. We've been talking about since December, we've been talking about the idea that they needed a guy who can start, 15 games in midfield because you want both Paxton and Brandon to be on 27 or 28 starts, not 34. You know, that's just, that, that's pure basic roster management math. So Thomas is back. Uh, I believe he's trained at least once already. So, um, you know, I, I, what happened over in Austria, I'm not hundred percent privy. My, uh, the information I got is that they have a very defensive minded coach and then they got into a relegation battle and, you know, Thomas isn't necessarily a, grind it out and draw and get five red cards kind of physical dude. And apparently this guy likes that kind of player. So Thomas wasn't getting the increased minutes that I think he should have gotten obviously over there. Um, but that has nothing to do with why he's back. He's back because FC Dallas needed him basically. Interesting. Okay. So I'm going to guess it's going to take a while for him to get uh, acclimated to the team and the system and all of that stuff. Maybe. I mean, that, that depends on Thomas. You know, if, if he's used to playing in the kind of system that this coach runs, he's a pretty ideal fit for the role that they're having 
uh, Paxton do. You know, Thomas you know, originally was a pure 10, but, you know, even when he was here and since he's left, he's been adapting his game to that more of a Paxton style eight. You know, we, we even saw that before he left. We saw him starting to begin to press and do the right things there. So, um, and also that could be impacted by the fact that they've run. Remember I told you two weeks ago that they were running a form or maybe it was a week ago. They were running a new formation. Yeah. They, they use that. They use that formation at the end of the open cup game. I don't know if you guys noticed. It was <laughs> no, I'll a, explain that later. Yeah. It was a four, two, three, one. So basically it's a shape that uses a, now in the, in the open cup game, it was Velasco that was doing it at the end, playing that 10 behind uh, above a double pivot. That also fits Thomas's profile. So right. there's a couple of ways and a couple of tweaks that this coach is doing that fit, you know, quite well with what Thomas is capable of. It, even you could even look at a false sort of wing that he would play if you were to stick him out there. It's going to look fairly similar to some of the things that Ariola and, and, and Velasco are giving you anyway, too. So lots of ways he could fit. Well, we certainly have a lot ex- at, at stake with Thomas here on the third degree of the podcast because I think we've uh, pretty much established our entire reputation on his <laughs> future. Um, you know, we had anointed him at some point. And so we sent him away. You know, if you love something, you set it free. It will return if it really loves you. And it's returned because I know Thomas loves us and he's going to do great things. Right, Buzz? Well, I still think the kid is very talented. You know, he he is cursed with this problem that a lot of modern tens have, which was that the Dallas doesn't play a system that uses that kind of player anymore. Um, as most people don't, you know, it's the Mehmet Ozil problem. Um I, I think Thomas has got a whole lot of skill on the ball. When he came out of the academy, I think probably still this is true. He's the best ball handler I've ever seen in the academy. Best passer, best dribbler. He would dribble through five or six dudes. And Better score. than that kid that you talked about on the U14s? Uh, well, I did, say come, I did say come out of the academy. Yeah, I mean, that's all oh, okay. in the same class, except he's, you know, 13. So Thomas was 18 <laughs> when, <laughs> and a pro. So, you know... It, all he needs to do is pick up some of this adaptation, which he has been, you know, and he's had some pretty solid performances from time to time with the first team. You know, I, I, I think for whatever reason, Lucci soured on him, uh, you know, maybe I don't know what he wasn't doing that Lucci liked or didn't like, but uh, I think this, the way he plays actually really fits this new coach. I, th- I think it's going to work out well. This coach likes technical players and smart players. And Thomas is both of those things. So I'm really optimistic that he's going to actually be able to get some good time here. Yeah, I'll be, I'm interested to see what Thomas's attitude about is it be, based on whatever the situation was back in Austria. Was is he uh, is he glad to leave because he wasn't getting enough time? Does he really think he can put in some minutes here and and win a regular you know rotation a spot in the rotation, whatever? So it'll be fun to see what. Yeah. we – I mean, how long has it been since we've seen Thomas play for this team? When was the last time he played minutes for the senior team? Was it twenty? 20- one was it the I, pandemic season i think it was his rookie season 2019, 2019 when he made like seven starts and then he stopped playing basically after yeah that. i mean i feel like it's yeah. been an age since we've seen him play so i mean i mean you know we may see a kid show up that looks very different than he did when he yeah. left two and a half years ago or whatever it was yeah you're, you're talking about a kid that left as a kid and now he's coming back at well, i don't know what he is now <laughs> 20 or 21 and he's been living in a different country so you're you're not you're now you're talking about an adult. So things right. have, like he's probably seen, seen a different part of the world, different perspective. He's been on his own. He's not here with, here with his parents anymore. You know, it's like, these are some pretty critical years he's had. 
Uh, he could be a very different person, very, very different player. He could be focused or he could be gone. You know, what if he, what if he shows up and he's like a super blonde haired version lookalike of Tanner, uh, Tanner Tessman? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's certainly tallest Tanner pretty much, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, certainly with FC shorts, a little height and midfield is not going to bother me at all. You know, Thomas is like, I think he's six one, you know, with that kind of ability is pretty nice. So if you have a guy like a little bit of that kind of height in midfield, it's going to go a long way to help stem this set piece problem that Dallas has this year. Well, I hope with uh, time and Austrian chocolate and meat, he uh, got a little swole. That's what I'm hoping for. Swole Thomas Roberts. I'm not holding my breath for that, but I think he'll probably have filled out some. All right. Well, Thomas Roberts has returned. We are excited here at Third Degree, the podcast. Okay, there are two games to talk about. First off is the nil-nil result up at uh, Red Bull Arena against uh, aforementioned Red Bulls. Dan, you wrote up a fantastic review of the game. Why don't you run it down for everybody? Oh, no, not this again. Um, Yeah, um, (laughs) very much one of those uh, trust-the-process games, I felt. One of the games you could definitely say under Lucci, maybe that's a blowout loss. And under Nico, uh, with that whole defense first mentality, absorbing pressure, frustrating the opposition, and then just in the last 10, 15 minutes, trying to really go for it and sort of nick something. Uh, just, yeah, one of the, one of those that, you know, you can kind of say on, on both sides of it. Um, I think actually I put in there, you know, on one hand, that's a game that, that uh, a Lucci team loses. On the other hand, a Lucci team plays a little bit more positively from the start and maybe they kind of make something happen early on. But uh, obviously, you know, having a second consecutive clean sheet on the road is is something that the club are extremely proud of for the 12th time in franchise history. Um, you know, I thought... That is an amazing uh, stat, by the way, that this club's been around for 27 years, 26 years, years, and they've only had 12 shutouts on the road in all that time? Well, 12 times they've had two in a row. Back-to-back shutouts. Oh, I misunderstood. I thought I was like, "Wow, that is really bad." <laughs> okay, yeah. that's that's uh, better. Okay, never <laughs> mind. Sorry, yeah, uh... I should learn to listen. Sorry, Dan. <laughs> and they've never had three in a row, so uh, I guess we'll we'll find out somewhat soon uh, how that plays out uh, right. I believe against Sporting Kansas City right um, interesting game obviously uh, Martin Pass was phenomenal um, as, as you kind of mentioned if they don't buy in they're stupid at this point definitely uh, the, the team definitely dealt oh, struggled against the the press that New York put in um, Kind of interesting to see him trying to watch them try to go down the right, get frustrated, go down the left, and kind of almost play into to Louis Morgan. Um, yeah, anyway, I'm making you know, a real shit job of this. I don't know if you want to uh, take over, Buzz. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I, before you, let me just ask this question, because I think this is the thing that uh, uh, is my biggest takeaway from the game, which is this weird uh, internal struggle that I'm having with this season so far, which is I know that the rule is the guiding light is win at home and tie on the road. And I know that good teams that get far in this league know how to strangle the life out of games on the road. And many teams do it differently. A lot of teams that have been very successful in this league do it the way that Nico is doing it. 
but holy crap, it is boring as F and it's hard to watch and it's not a lot of fun. And I'm just wondering, Buzz, from your perspective, is this what we should just pretty much prepare ourselves for when this team goes on the road for the rest of the season? Or is this a learning curve that they will feel more comfortable in opening up and trying to do more until the last five minutes when they're grasping at straws, trying to just make something happen? Well, I hope it's not the whole season, but you're talking about a team that was atrocious last year, the last several years on the road. Uh, you know, and had and goal giving up goals was their big problem last year. So I, I think that early on, for sure, that uh, they're using that he's using this kill the game philosophy, kill this kill the game mentality. And, and it was it was very clear that it, it's this flat three in front of the back four where Paxton and Brandon are sitting in. And it wasn't until about the seventy or seventy fifth minute. I noticed it the seventy fifth minute because I literally wrote it down when I saw it happen that all of a sudden Paxton and Brandon stepped up into the normal sort of position that you see at home and they started to go for it and they had chances and they, they had two or three chances to steal that game late, you know? So as a strat, you're right. As a strategy, it is effective. It is hor- however horrible to watch. You get out shot 20 to five. Now, a lot of that stuff is coming on set plays and a lot of it's coming from far outside, which is perfectly fine. Long distance shots are fine. You have a good goalkeeper. I am worried that this is the second game in a row where he's had five or six saves now, which was the most he had through the first four games. So the amount of chances are going up. Part of that is teams are getting used to what Dallas is doing. They're getting some tape on them. They kind of know how they're playing now. They're finding some weaknesses. Now, the Colorado game, record aside, Colorado is a good team. So I think New York, you know, record aside, they're in the top three of the East as well. You know, I I don't know why I said record aside. They're in the top three of the East. They're just good. So you're, you're talking about the last couple of games are against some of the better teams. Now, I don't think that Dallas is a top-tier team yet. Uh, they are better, 100% for sure. But you, I think you're still talking about a 4, 5, 6, 7 team in the standings, not a 1, 2, 3. I, I know they're up there now, but um, you know it's because they've had a couple of results go their way and they've, they've beaten a couple of teams that maybe we thought they wouldn't have. You know They've had a fair number of home games. So you hope that over the course of the season that they will continue to improve and develop uh, Coach Nico's system. He did say two weeks ago that they had started off with all the effort on the defense and repairing the defense, and now they are going to begin working on more offensive stuff. Mm -hmm. Hopefully that translates into more fun play on the road. But but you can look at, like, Facundo starting on the road games. You know, he's the grind it out, dig it out, press hard, tackle, recover guy which is amazing that Edwin's progresses game so much that now he's the progressive build forward possession leads the team and passes into the final third kind of guy, which is crazy that that's true, but it is, you know, so when you're seeing Facundo start those road games, that's a clear indicator that that's what they're still doing. Okay. But is there an alarm bell to be sounded over the fact that now they've played three road games and they have yet to score a goal now? To be fair, they've only given up one, and they uh, and and that's and you know, they've gotten two draws out of the three games. But the fact, and I'm sure that if I was to go back and add up the number of opportunities and shots, it's a really low number of those three games. But is that a of something of concern that we really need to circle in Buzz's famous red crayon? <laughs> no, I actually don't think it's a concern. I think. If you're looking at the road games over the course of the whole season, right, a good team is going to be 500 on the road, 
if you can get above 500, that's incredible. So if you, if you can manage to get a bunch of ties and not have losses, and if you can steal a game here or there with this kind of philosophy, certainly early, certainly against good teams, certainly when you're traveling far, that's how you be, build the foundation to being a better road team. Remember Matt Hedges said that it was the best mentality he'd seen on the road in like three years, mm-hmm. you know? So that's, that's where you start. It's definitely not an alarm. I mean, do we want it to be better? Of course we do. But it's not an alarm to me that they're playing a defensive first mentality, kill the game on the road. They're, you know, they're not a great team yet. They're just a good team, and they're going to need to kill games sometimes when you play a team that's really, really good. All right, Dan, so if you go back and look at the New York game and you see the stats of New York out shooting Dallas 20-5 to or whatever it ended up being, what, what was it simply just pause playing out of his head, or are there some uh, good signs defensively about the team that we should focus on and feel good about? Um, I mean, there were some good good signs um, limiting them to seven shots on target from, from 20 shots. Uh, the majority coming, the vast majority coming outside the box tells you that the defense aren't just letting them walk in. <clears throat> they are limiting them to, to kind of half chances. I haven't seen the number of, you know, the quote unquote clear cut chance stat, but um, I'm pretty sure it wasn't that high. I think even um, XG was, was under two. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's an interesting one because you're talking about a team that hasn't won at home in four games. They've had two ties. Uh, obviously, they shit the bed against Montreal with that weird goalkeeping issue. Um, Columbus right, uh, was an injury time equalizer, but yeah, um, that, that it's going to be one of those funny games that you can look back on later in the season and say, Oh, maybe that should have been a win, or oh, maybe that was that was a, a great point hmm. after all. It's okay. it's going to take a little while to get there, and I think if you look at the seven games as a whole and like the where each of those teams are right now, you know it's it's the same. Um, you know, we we came into the start of the season saying this is a really tough schedule, um, and right now I want to say the high oh New York were the highest placed team currently at ninth your only losses to the 22nd place team in in the entire uh, league you haven't yet faced a team who have a points per game average above one and a half significantly i think nashville was like 1.57 it's uh yeah it's 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 gonna be one of those you just have to see how it plays out now, in your article and your review, you spent an entire section uh, sticking up for Emma Tuamase, uh, and I'm wondering what what led you to feel the need to do that. Did you was I mean, is the general consensus that he, it appeared that he didn't have a good game, or why did you feel the need to to stick up for him in his play and kind of explain why in the graphs um, and the videos that you put? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know I was watching the game and I had a note of you know Tuamase is doing pretty well. He had. A, a couple of little slip-ups, a, a bad errant pass. There was a moment where he uh, made a run upfield. He felt he was fouled. He stayed on the ground as as New York broke away. Uh, but but plenty of times, um, you know, where his, you know, he he gives that kind of lead on players, knowing that he's got the pace to catch up. And I saw a lot of people um, complaining about his positioning, complaining about he's a defensive liability, and that. And I was just like, I. 
I didn't. Start. That wasn't the game I watched. Apparently, um, so just you know, wanted to kind of put a few of the the numbers out there, the position, kind of try and explain like, well, why his positioning was different to Marco Farfan and how uh, how Paxton Pomacol's adjustment in the middle of the first half kind of affected uh, affected those the way that I think coaches always talk about roles versus. Uh, formations and how like the shape kind of rotates almost because you've got a player like Lewis Morgan on the other side who is so dangerous and was the focal point of New York's attack while uh, you know Dallas was trying to use Tumasi into uh, Areola for for much of the game mm-hmm. um, and and then just you know some clips to say hey look you know here's some of the stuff he did it was it was pretty good it wasn't the I, I guess the the tipping point was everyone talks about the the right back debate who's worse nanu or uh, emma tumasi and it it shouldn't be who's worse it should be okay who actually fits the system better who's actually playing better Mm -hmm. so you know just trying to find those positives out of it uh, yeah no and i appreciate it because uh, i think the work that you put into providing the graphs and the and the charts and the actual analysis and not just uh, staring at you know, stats like some people do these days uh, uh, is uh, really the best way to look at it. And I thought you tell, told a really good story uh, in that. Um, if you're not reading Dan's reviews of the games and his uh, kind of highlights and pinpoint uh, analysis of it, uh, you should. It's it's really good stuff. Buzz, what I'm wondering is the thing that I'm concerned about as I continue to talk about and watch this team and 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 wonder is this now appears to be uh, you know multiple games in a row where other teams have figured out how to drag Brandon and Paxton all over the field. And this goes back to our original uh, discussion about how much work and effort they're having to put in game in and game out. And I, and I do wonder, have you picked up on that? Am I seeing something that's not there? Or is that something that you think is, a, you know, the fact that they're just playing with three in the middle of the field is creating this you know, extreme amount of effort that these two guys are having to put in game in and game out. Yeah. The, 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 the spaces that are giving Dallas problems right now for me is the, if you remember back to the Colorado game is when Barrios, Barrios drifted wide. And then he and Rosenberry both attacked into that gap from that wide position, which is basically high out above the outside back, but wider than Paxton on that side or Brandon on the other side. And there have been games where those two guys have had to shift out wide. A lot of times, of course, this team defends in what looks like a 4-5-1 look where the two wings are going to kind of come back and sit on top of that space and help solve that problem. For whatever reason, against New York, they weren't really doing that. So that you know, they were getting New York was getting opportunities for set plays and they were getting balls played in from those wide areas and they were creating opportunities. It, it's sort of like... For me, the last two games, you know, Dallas plays this sort of mid to low blockish kind of look, and their center backs are not particularly fast. So there, there's a little bit of an ability. People have found, I think, a little bit of a space like right behind them, not not like a over the top kind of ball, but a sort of diagonal ball that sort of spins and sits up. If you have a quick striker, you can get get to those Barrios or whoever. You know, and those are some of the, where the opportunities are coming. So it's going to take an adaptation from the coaching staff to solve that problem. Do they need to have those wings sit back more? Do they need to have the gaps tighten? You know, they've looked at another formation with a double pivot in the middle. That'll change things a little bit. Um, you know, so there's there are some concerns there. 
Uh, I don't necessarily think it's because Paxson and Brandon are getting overworked. I think it's just the nature of the shape they're using, which puts a lot of emphasis on those outside backs to fill mm -hmm. the vertical space. The whole wide space is abandoned for the outside backs, basically. So um, that, that's part of why the modern eight requires so much work and so much range is because you have to help cover that space. That's part of your responsibility. And so if you're, if you're being passive and you're sitting in, you're low blocking, you know, we, we've talked about how you can low block actively or you can low block passively. And so if you're being passively, those spaces are being abandoned. And that's a problem. So uh, work in progress for sure. Yeah. Um. So as the season goes on, especially in home games, because I, I would say if I was disappointed and we didn't really talk about this too much in the Colorado game, but it it dawned on me uh, as I was watching this particular game is, you know, Nico put his team on the field at home in kind of a reactive manner. And I've yet to see Dallas really kind of put its thumbprint on the game in a, hey, we're going to dictate how this game's going to go. And I wonder, again, much like, you know, working to tie games on the road is a strategy maybe that is built off of, hey, we're trying to reconstruct what was so awful from last season. Do you anticipate at some point Nico will have a team on the field that's like, hey, we're playing this game our way. You have to react to us. Well, I think Portland got pretty close to that. Yeah, that's a good yeah, point. The Maybe one okay. game. Yeah. You know, I, I think a lot of times it, it depends on your opponent. You know, road games are going to be tough. But, you know, and Colorado is a really good team. When they were, I still think, I think they're one of the best teams in the West still. Yeah. Um, you know, but Portland is struggling. Their center backs are, were both hurt, if you remember, and, and Blanco had just come back, I think. And and Nashville came in here and didn't really have a lot to offer offensively, and Dallas was able to control that game as well. Um, so I think from time, it just depends on the matchup. Remember, this coach is, a, is micromanaging matchups. He's doing tactical adaptations per team. So every team, they're doing different things and trying different things and there's been games where they've swapped Brandon and Paxton in order to take advantage of some minute form, uh, way the defense on the other team played. So there are going to be games where they're going to attempt to dictate, like particular teams that don't press. Teams that teams that don't press, Dallas is really good about pulling them apart and stretching them and giving them fits. But teams that do high press, Dallas. They struggle with that. I mean, I think New York is a really good high-pressing team, and that was a problem. And Colorado, I think of these days, as a pretty good uh, pressing team. They don't do it quite as high, but you know the way that they exploited Dallas was to spread Dallas out and made it really difficult for them across the middle of this part of the field. Um, it's not the same as a high press, but it is a press. So, um, you know, you know it, part of what's going on with this new team with this not new team with this new coach and a new tactics is that they're still trying to figure all that stuff out. They mm -hmm. work on build out and transition all the time. It's the right, at least the last month or so. This is, that's their key thing that they're trying to work on. So, you know, when, when you, when you go forward against teams that are going to play, like, I, I don't think Houston presses. So that'll be a team. I think you'll be able to make a little more of, of hay with, you know, whereas Seattle, I think is definitely going to be a problem <laughs> in a couple of weeks. So, uh, you know, it's just every game with this more than any other coach I think I've ever seen here. He's changing things from game to game to game based on the opponent. So you're going to see very different Dallas team from game to game, I think. Yeah. Are you surprised by what is now clearly a strategic move, not just a, a rotation move of Facundo, as you mentioned earlier, being the guy that he uses on the road to play that kind of like hold down the fort and grind it out position versus Surya? 
No, if you think about that, I think that's the thing that really shows you that that's what the philosophy is because because Edwin has become a better progressive player. You know, Facundo has Edwin beat in almost every pure defensive category. He presses more. He pre- he's more successfully tackles more. He denies dribblers more. He get he, just his pure number of presses is higher. You know, he's a he's a more pure grinder. But Edwin hasn't beat in almost all the offensive categories for progression and for passes into the third. You know, so Edwin's become a better two-way player. Yeah. So once you, because I was mystified by that too. You know, coming into this season, I would not have said that was the case. But Edwin has really advanced his game, and now that is the case. And so they're definitely choosing to go that way simply for that. Because I watch Facundo play, and I feel like he's always late to stuff. But if you look at the raw numbers, he does do it more aggressively than Edwin, which is weird because I feel like. He's not, he's late all the time. Part of it, I think, is that Edwin covers a lot more ground than Facundo does. So he, a lot of times he's intercepting plays and blocking plays before they even happen. He's turning people back. Sometimes that doesn't show up on a stat sheet because you don't intercept or you don't tackle because they turned and went back because you were in the right position. So um, I, I think that in the, in, the, in the context of man management and wanting to get people in and out of games and, and leave pressure on, 34 starts. We don't want that anyway. You know, he wants to keep Facundo. He wants to keep Franco Haro. He wants to keep those guys dialed in and, and contributing to the team. You know, so using Facundo that way is a really good way to do it, I think. All right. But I, I want, I know we need to move on to the Open Cup game, but real quickly, this now appears to be two games in a row, Dan, where the Alan Velasco experience seems to have uh, settled quite a bit. And I'm wondering if you're cool with that and that doesn't have you on any kind of level of worry, uh, or if maybe that's just the natural course of things and we're not, and, and the, this isn't another example of the dreaded Dallas debut curse. Uh, I mean, even going back a couple uh, before that, I think, well, yeah. Um, I've definitely thought a couple of times, you know, he's not, kind of flatters to deceive a little bit maybe it was a flash in the pan but then it's like you say you know still new to mls still adjusting uh you know a young guy physically kind of growing into the style of the league and everything else um i want to see more of him but at the same time you know it took mara diaz six months it took michael barrios I want to a say nearly a year, yeah, a year yeah. and a half until he had that Open Cup game where he scored two. Um, Fabian Castillo took, Christ, years. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. It's definitely the, the highest potential, so should, in theory, have the, the shortest turnaround time, but it just goes to show that unless you... You know, for for a young guy like that, there is no like just get here and he's instantly dialed in. It, it's going to take some kind of ramp up. Okay. Yeah, I think if you look at the last two games against Colorado and New York, they were out possessed, and he's not getting enough time on the ball. Like if you go back to the Chicago game, he had fifty seven touches, where he looked great, and then Colorado he had twenty nine, and New York he had thirty. So you know, it, when when you don't have your team doesn't have the ball, then he's not getting the ball, and then that's all part of it. Yeah, but I would also point out there were a lot of times, specifically in this New York game, where he just gave the ball away too easily or was too easily dispossessed. And I think those are the moments, like if he's not getting the ball, that's one thing. But if he's not making magic more times than not when he does have the ball, that's where I begin to worry 
And I also don't want to be impatient. I don't want to be impatient and I don't want to expect too much too soon, but there is a lot of, you know, they spent a lot of money on this kid and he came with a ton of hype. So I don't want to get on him too hard, but uh, that is kind of what I've seen now over the last couple of games. And I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to judge where we're all at at this point. Yeah. I'm looking at his stats by game. Um, you know, and he's basically under 50% on dribbles, you know, all season, um, the carries are about the same. It's just a volume question. You know, like the ratios seem to be the same, mm-hmm. you know, uh, against Colorado and against New York, he did not pass like the first three games. He's at 71, 75, 72%. And then he drops off to 55 and 62. So there's definitely a fall off there against two teams that do play a pretty aggressive defense, you know, and, and get on you more than the don't, and don't sit back. So, um, some of that, I think, is the same thing we're talking about with the whole team, which is, you know, when, what the what kind of team are you playing? Are you playing a team that's active or passive? Do they sit in a block? Do they come out? You know, that that's all going to affect them. Uh, five game sample is just, you know. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> but also people have tape on him now. You know, people now are aware of him. He's, he's attracting attention. You know, and in fact, we've seen Jesus get the game opened up for him because Velasco was over there taking all the attention, you know. It's kind okay. of fair say as well. Um, yeah, he was definitely rushed in his in his few possessions uh, against New York. Uh, as you say, with the press and everything else, and just just the fact that he's seeing less at the ball and in that position, you're you're a person that wants to have the ball constantly. You want to have that high volume, so you are rushing for your motions and maybe a stat like a completed pass. The quality of the pass isn't necessarily the same as you know if he's getting that sort of sixty touches and. Uh, you know, and able to really open things up down the left. Okay. On the upside, they're three and two since he started playing. Yeah, no, and I yeah. don't want to. I'm, I'm not trying to. Uh, two ties, excuse I'm, me, no losses. I'm not trying to be pessimistic about it. Yeah. I'm just asking the question, and I realize oh, yeah. that the, the the reality is there's a learning curve, right? And, yeah. And and and, and it in it's very rare that anybody just walks into any league but specifically this one and specifically kids or people from South America. We've talked about that. We've mentioned this a thousand times. Oscar used to talk about the time it takes South Americans to acclimate to playing in this league. And if you go around and you look at all of those people that have come up here, no matter if they were kids or experienced veterans, they all have a time to take it. And I'm just kind of pointing out, it just appears that's the, 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 the period of time that Allen is in at this point. Yeah, I, I would say it actually seems like he's adapted faster than I would have expected. And I, I hopefully some of that is perhaps a Frank O'Hara, Argentine influence or the or the new, you know, off field program they have to try and make people feel at home and all that kind of stuff. So, okay. you know, it's obviously a, a Spanish first language coach probably is a factor in that. Well, I actually think he's adapting ahead of what I, my expectations would have been. All right. It is uh, Wednesday evening as we record this particular episode. Last night was the, uh, is it the third round they're in of the U.S. Open Cup? Third round of the U.S. Open Cup and up in Frisco, uh, FC Tulsa showed up into town. Um, I did not really watch the game. I had indoor last night and in between my two games, I turned it on the phone and I watched for, I think I saw the last 10 minutes of the first half I saw the Tulsa goal. I guess I saw the Tulsa goal, and I saw the PK. And uh, needless to say, this rotated squad, uh, at least in the time that I watched, looked like they had their hands full with the USLC championship team. Yeah, well, that often happens when you're USLC. playing. USLC. Did teams. I say USLC? Did I say that right? USL 
championship, championship team. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I mean, considering in the past they've lost to teams like this, yeah. you know, that's the, uh, they've lost OKC. They've lost to Minnesota United. Not Minnesota, excuse me, New Mexico United. You know, the fact that you played it. And th- some of those teams were even like only partial rotations. This was a complete rotation. And Dallas won the game. Uh, you know, I don't think Tulsa really had all that many great chances. Uh, you know, when you're talking about the ability, I think it's actually really exciting because you, you, you could look at that lineup and you could say last year, Tafari was a, a starter, a lock starter at the end of the season. And now he's a reserve, right? And you had Munjoma, not Munjoma, you had uh, Tuomasi in there who last year was a starter. And now arguably possibly he's a reserve. And you had uh, Shun in there last year tor- for towards the back of the season was a starter. And now he's a reserve and, and Obreon last year was a starter. And now he's a reserve. So like all these guys that are capable of being MLS starters, granted a team that missed the playoffs, they've all been knocked down a peg. So that your depth, at least in the immediate gap of, of the rotation guys that are right there on the cusp of the first team guys that can start games performed at a relatively comprehensive level. Now Tulsa did get a goal, but I don't think that they were, they were really very good. You know, it's not like Dallas was against New York. You know, they controlled a lot more of this game. Well, you know, with a much larger number of possession and, and shots, it's something like 58 56% possession and 14 shots. I mean, that's a pretty, overwhelming amount of the ball and control of the game. So it's not, and that's from a almost a ball across the board, complete second unit. So it's actually really positive that they didn't choke the bed and, and burn the house down in the first open cup game against <laughs> a USL team. It's playing their biggest game of the year in a lot of ways, you know? Uh, okay. Well, any, any outstanding performances or anything that surprised you about the game buzz? Uh, my man of the match was Obreon because I thought he was really effective early pinning Tulsa back and he did have the game winner. Um, he was the same guy he always is, though. It didn't stand out beyond that. Um, Shun, I thought, was terrific. That was really good to see because, you know, he's been in the doghouse not getting playing time. And I thought he, he should have, he could have had a, a couple of assists and had a couple shots. Looked really good. Edwin looked great. Even the commentators who knew nothing about the team and mispronounced his name like 80 times were really impressed with Edwin. <laughs> so, which is funny that you couldn't get Evan Surreal right. That's great. Yeah. And uh, Franco Yara, they weren't loving him very much. But, um, you know, other than the fact that you got a bunch of dudes that needed minutes, got minutes, and you didn't fall off, the performance was there, the system was there. You even got a glimpse of the new formation at the end. Jesus and Allen got a little bit of a run out just to keep going, you know, it's, so it's a, uh, I thought it was overall, it was about as good as a third round open cup game can be. Hmm. All right. So uh, Dallas does end up beating FC Tulsa uh, two to one. And how was the crowd last night? Pretty uh, typical open cup game. Yeah. <laughs> What'd you say? They announced 2000. They okay. only had the East stand open. I think was it was it like actually- 200, yeah. <laughs> okay. No, no, the, uh, the East was actually fairly full. Oh, that was not visible on my television. Wait, the uh, East? Cause, Wait, yeah, the, the East? Side that, uh, the West, sorry, the side the cameras are actually on. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I, I thought it was interesting that it was the first time everybody got to see Bartlett play in some of the reactions oh, people had. Oh, yeah. How did he do? Well, I've already said my piece on him, so maybe well, Dan I, I could I will, chime in. Well, hold on one sec. I the ten minutes that I watched, he didn't look terrible to me. I was really expecting him to be this terrible, uh, like 
like obviously bad player and I didn't see it. Now, again, I only saw him make like attempt probably five passes and I think he completed four of them and I saw him head a couple of balls out. Now, I did see the goal and I couldn't quite figure out if if he was a big part of the problem in that weird kind of scramble in the box on the goal. Did he miss a clear opportunity to clear it? He whiffed it twice. Yeah, oh, twice. Okay. Well, yeah, Franco Hart was in the way as well. So I mean, it was a it was a thing. Well, here's the thing, Bartlett. For me, you can understand what's so intoxicating about him and why they drafted him. The raw pieces are phenomenal: size, power, really good feet, can pass. He has everything you'd want in the raw pieces to make a good defender. Except that he's not a very good defender. You know, it, he's he reads the game a step behind a second behind he's often late to stuff and in, in training he's good for a couple of large mental mistakes that almost always end up in goals now against fc tulsa he was fine he was but even like in our discord people were talking about like oh he's late god he's always late you know people were noticing it and i didn't tell people that that's what to look for they're seeing it themselves and they're talking about it now they learn from Buzz. Well, no, you can see it. Like if you, no, they learned. That's play, what I'm saying. They learned. They learned what to look yeah. for from Buzz. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Now this kid has got enough potential that you won't give up on him. The problem, obviously, is that he's 25 already, or he's about yeah. to be 25 already. So you know, there's going to be a season long effort to try and get him dialed in and get him up to speed. You know, he just didn't play at a high enough level before this. You know, and there's always a chance that he could come good. Like, you know, a season playing a lot for North Texas and all of a sudden maybe it's going to click and he's going to get it. You know, he'll be great. You know, it's like, it's different, but it's like Cobra where Cobra was trash for like eight months and all of a sudden it clicked and he's scoring goals in bunches. Maybe this guy will click because there are a lot of raw pieces in there that are really, really good. He has all the tools Matt Hedges has, except Matt Hedges is the greatest defensive player in club history and this kid is not. Hmm. Hey, um, why did they stop playing Open Cup games down at SMU? I asked that question yesterday, and nobody seems to know. Huh. How long? Well, but it, then it got me thinking, you know, it's been a while since we played Open Cup, so when was the last time they played an Open Cup game at SMU? Has it been much longer than I think it has been? Well, they didn't play the Open Cup for two years, so it's right. when they lost to New Mexico United, I think, three years ago. Okay, because that was at SMU, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I wonder why yesterday, they stopped doing that. Hmm. Yesterday was the first time they've played a lower division team at Toyota Stadium since 2014 or 15. Yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah. Okay. Now, I'm going to ask, because you guys were at the stadium, you saw it for yourself within the last few days, is there any sign of the... Uh, mythical giant new north end shield lighting experience smoke and fire thing no but the toyotas are now in the colors of fc dallas and the burn they found a wasabi green oh uh rav4 <laughs> oh that's, that's awesome yeah that is great <laughs> I love that. I will give them yeah. double, triple points if we find out they got that specifically wrapped in wasabi green and guacamole I mean, green. Sh- surely Gulf States Twitter got to be like, oh, no, it has to be like colors we actually sell. So surely they sell it. I don't know if Toyota sells a guacamole or gu- <laughs> wasabi green color. I, I have to go a, look on their website. I hope it has a big fire-breathing horse on the hood. That would be awesome. Yeah, but um, if, if you notice now, it's there's a red and like a navy blue one down the bottom, and then uh, 
the green ones <laughs> on the northeast and the north uh, northwest, and then the black ones on the northeast. I'm telling you, with the inventory issues that are happening with car manufacturers nationwide, there are some sales guys at Toyota of name any DFW area dealership going, why are we keeping cars on a stage in a stadium <laughs> when we could be selling them? You know what's funny about that? I, I just bought a truck last year, and Toyota did not have those inventory problems. Like, you could they go to Toyota a lot, they'd have 100 of them. You go to a really? GM lot, they'd have one. Yeah, Toyota for whatever reason didn't have that problem. It's really hmm. weird, but that was like one, that was like a, one of the trucks you could actually get was Toyota. Maybe they make their own chips or something. In I Japan. mean, yeah, some kind of supply thing they had figured out that GM didn't. The, I mean, that's a totally different podcast, but I can tell you why GM didn't <laughs> has that problem. It's related to their inventory management. Believe me, I went through the whole thing trying to buy a truck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you and everybody else that's tried to buy a car in the last. 18 yeah. months it feels like yeah yeah my I last two cars i had to buy i had to buy out of state and drive them back in from out of state yeah i have a friend of a family that owns a gm dealer so he explained it to me and i was like okay i understand it now but it's like you fascinating know, different podcasts all right but we haven't seen nobody has seen or heard any updates on the mythical giant interactive not interactive but entertaining smoke fire led lighted sign the giant ferdinand no i have not i've not heard no the giant Ferdinand. Yeah, Ferdinand's a bull, right? You remember Ferdinand? He's the one that sits right, on the yes. flat. Smoke I get it. Fires and he sits on a beat. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. I like the name, the yeah, giant thanks. Ferdinand. Dan, yeah. you haven't heard anything? Nothing, nothing. I was just questioning our sanity collectively then. <laughs> Why? They did not read you Ferdinand Next. in English, English elementary school? I've never heard of it. Oh, I had oh. to get Dan a Ferdinand book. Yeah, I know what I'm getting you for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, <Mr>. why <laughs> is right. there a oh. book about Rio Ferdinand? Oh, it's oh. The, uh, wrong. Uh, he's named after the bull. True, true story, Dan. Okay, I've looked through <laughs> Toyota's inventory. The closest thing they actually have is a color called Cypress, which is like a forest green. So yeah. That was custom. All custom the others wrap. are their standard yeah, I be, colors. All right. If they got it wrapped in wasabi slash guacamole green just for this purpose, double, triple points to whoever made that decision. Uh, kudos to them. Well, all right. If anybody happens to see or spy the giant Ferdinand uh, before yeah. Saturday, you better snap photos and send them to us because I got to see this thing. I want to know. I want to know what this whole bit is about, and I hope it doesn't disappoint. By the way, uh, the open cup draw for the fourth round is tomorrow, but it, it, it'll be in probably I think at eleven a.m. or something like that. So by the time you hear this podcast, we may know who they're playing. But it's the same. It's a four-team geographical thing, so Dallas almost certainly will be grouped with Austin and Houston, and then somebody else. So it could be whoever they decide is close, maybe like New Mexico or Union Omaha, who knocked off Chicago, or maybe Sporting Kansas City, because all MLS group. So it'll, yeah. it'll be you know, almost certainly your chances are Austin or Houston is next. Do you, you know, are you saying that San Antonio has no chance in extra time? Oh, well, no, I am not saying that. It is that. tied 1-1 one, one in extra time, so uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, maybe I it's know. an Do FC we, Tucson. Maybe it's, you know, it's going to be hard. It could be, could be St. Louis, perhaps. That'd be cool. You never know. Legit question. Do you Would you want to play Austin in the Open Cup in the next round? Uh, sure. I don't care who you, who you or get. Or is it two? Yeah. Okay. I just wondered. Or, or would we enjoy watching them getting knocked out by San Antonio more? I would. I would more enjoy uh, 
San Antonio because I love the cross league matchups, but that's not because I think Dallas would beat San Antonio. It's just because it's cross league, you know, and right. sometimes it's fun to go to the, like I went to an open cup game. Dallas played San Antonio in the open cup last time around two years ago. And I went down there, my, my wife and I went down, I had a lot of fun, good fun doing that. So, you know, hmm. that's, that's, that's the open cup. I like is these going, either playing a team you don't ever play or going someplace you don't ever go, you know? Yeah. All right, so uh, that's happening. The draw tomorrow. Houston is this Saturday. It is a day game, uh, and the weather. I don't. I think the weather is going to be okay. It won't be too hot. What are what should we anticipate in terms of lineup? Are we back to the regular starting yeah. eleven at this point? You think, Buzz? Well, he rotated the whole team for the Tulsa game, so that's awesome. You would assume that since Faco played in New York and Evan played against Tulsa, either one could go. But it's a home game, so it'll be Edwin. Right, but what else will change? It'll be Jesus, it'll be Velasco, it'll be Ariola, Paxton, Brandon, and Edwin, presumably Farfan, Martinez, Hedges. The only question is is Nanu's whatever uh, questionable. I think it's a hammy. Is he questionable? Is he back or not? So can Tuomasi go three games in a week? Could they use Manjoma a second time, or is Nanu back? That's the, that's the only question in the team at this point. Is that right back spot? Okay. Well, that is at uh, two p.m. and again. Uh, maybe we'll get to see the debut of the giant new sign. I hope that's not the highlight of the game, by the way. I hope yeah. there's more to I, be excited about than a giant sign. Do you guys, I want to ask your opinion about this. Every time now, since Fafa Pico left Dallas, every time he plays Houston, plays for Houston against Dallas, it looks to me like he is really mad at Dallas. He seems to have like this chip on his shoulder. Am I misreading that? It sure you seems know, like I, it to me. I saw this come up in the Discord and somebody was like, um, I'm, I'm, I haven't been watching the team as long as many of you. And then I, and then he brought up this thing about, uh, uh, Fafa and I was like, Fafa was here like less than two years ago. I mean, yeah. I mean, clearly you are a brand new fan of this team because Fafa literally was here just over one season ago. And my next question related to this was, did Dallas ever play Philadelphia with Fafa? Because yes. I think the answer to your question is, how did Fafa treat that game when he got to play against Philadelphia, who traded him? No, I, I've only seen this reaction since Dallas basically traded him away and dumped him. But it's like, yeah. am I am I crazy that I'm thinking he's he has this hyper negative? Like it, he gets in people's faces and brings. Remember, he brought his fists up on was it? Oh Pepe? yeah, he wanted Pepe. to fight Peppy or something. Yeah, no, no I, I think you're spot on. Yeah. Yeah, there is something there, and I'm sure he's pissed off he got traded again. I'm sure that probably hurt his feelers. And he had a great season last year. Maybe he ended up in a better place. But no, I, I think yeah. I think what you've picked up on is not a right. is not unique to you. I think everybody else has noticed. I should make sure I wasn't imagining it because you know every once in a while, you know, yeah. All right. Well, I don't know what to expect from Houston. I know they're going through their own set of changes uh, and uh, with the new coach and everything. So I, I do think it makes for an interesting matchup for this particular weekend. Yeah, it'll it'll be fun. I mean, anytime you got to the, the difference between this game this time and the teams in the past is that both have new coaches, both have new ownership that well, not new ownership. Houston has new ownership who's changed the way they behave. And Dallas is acting like they have new ownership and they've changed every way they behave across the organization. And both these clubs are in the top, but five in the West. I mean, that adds a spice to this thing that we haven't had in a long time. You know, both these teams are going to want to prove that they're better, more improved than the other one. 
Uh, this is going to be a spicy game. I mean, I think this is as excited as people have been in a long time to play Houston, both in the team and in the fan base, I, I think. Yeah. Well, it is unusual that the league has flipped, is literally turned over that the teams from California and Texas that didn't make the playoffs are essentially filling up the top of the West this year. I, th- I find that fascinating. Well, some of that is Champions League, you know, and squad rotation, sure. and some of it's just a short sample size. But for sure, all five of those teams, the two LA teams and the three Texas teams, they're all better, unquestionably. Right. You know, so and they're they've they've put things together in a way that they've gotten early season results. You know, it is early season. The weather's going to change things. The heat's going to change things. Champions League will end, and Seattle will start winning games at a fast clip. You know, so, but still, it, there's so much parity in this league. The difference between being really good and really bad could be just a couple of players, you know, make a few changes and you make a big leap. Houston is definitely better than they were last year. I don't think they're as good as Dallas, but you know, I'm probably Austin biased. is clearly better. I mean, Austin's Austin clearly is, better, yeah. I know, I know people are going to want to bang on their schedule, but if you really go take a look at Dallas's schedule, I'm not sure Dallas's schedule is really all that more impressive than what Austin has had to deal with. And look, I love to, I love to troll Austin as much as the next guy, but the fact that they came back and beat and won that game against DC the other day, that's impressive. I just, that's a, yeah. that's a good result on the road uh, to be down like that and to come back and win a game is a, is uh, something to uh, feel good about. If you're yeah. an Austin fan, Houston's defense is definitely better. Their offense is interesting because they went out inside the DP nine uh, Santiago Ferreira, which is funny. Um, Sebas for, excuse me. Uh, but he's a prototypical high big nine and they don't play with like high wide wings. They play with like these false wings, like Fafa and either Barrett or Pasha on the other side that slash. So like they, ha- they're having this disconnect problem that we used to have here in the front line where the wings don't match the nine, you know, so they're, they're a work in progress offensively, but, uh, they're pretty good defensively. So it'll be a fun game. Hey, look, I, I believe it is in this club's best interest when Houston and Austin are good on the field, right? I, oh, yeah. I just I think that helps. And Austin being good off the field in its debut season and continuing to do it, I think is I think a byproduct of that is some of the changes you've seen off the field with Dallas. I I just I don't think yeah. you can not relate those two things. And Houston. The best thing that happened to Dallas and Houston was Austin off the field. Yeah. Making them, you know, because even if it's just to look in the mirror and go, man, what are we doing? But also to prove that you can do it in Texas. Now, I know new team and all that stuff, whatever. The bottom line is those stands are full. It can be done in Texas. And since then, both Houston and Dallas have changed their ways off the field. And that's that's good. That's good for soccer. It's good for MLS. It's good for all of us. Damn it. I think we said too many nice things about Austin. Well, you can not like them and still acknowledge the fact that they're doing amazing (laughs) things in the stands. I mean, having gone to a game there, that shit is amazing. It is. Yeah, I agree. It was a lot of fun. Oh, man. I know. I know. Is it worth $70, though? Uh, That seems like a high price to me. I got got my tickets handed to me by a season ticket holder. Well, the uh, the price and information for FC Dallas uh, away there came out today, and that's $70. Well, $69, sorry. Yeah, I, I <laughs> nice. always think that soccer tickets are too expensive. I think that I think that on the national team, I think that of all MLS teams, it's like I, I get that you want to indicate that you're, and I'm sure some ticket guy will tell me I'm an idiot, but I I feel like yes, I understand that you want to have your tickets be perceived as a valuable thing, but the bottom line to me is like until there's fifty thousand people in the stands, who gives a crap 
how valuable well, people receive your tickets to be. It's like sell them for 20 bucks and fill the place up. Like North Texas. When North Texas tickets are $20, I'm like, you're insane. They should be five. Okay. But here's the deal, Buzz. When you're running a business and you have limited inventory and you only, and you know, the limited inventory is the set of seats that you can sell and then the number of those times you can sell those seats, you need to get the most, the max value out of them as you can. And if you can sell a seat for 70 bucks, then it's, you're kind of responsible to your business to sell the seat for 70 bucks. Sure. I'm not, I'm not even talking about Austin $70. I'm talking about everybody. San Antonio like, just went ahead. I'm talking about Houston <laughs> or Dallas that are not selling either stadiums that have higher price tickets. Oh, cause I, like what's, yes. what's better to maximize the revenue today or pack out my stadium and build oh, an okay. audience. Yes. And, and, I was and talking about Austin. And I think, and I think what we've seen in Dallas with them selling these games at better attendance at lower ticket prices. I mean, I'm pretty sure yeah. that I saw earlier today an advertisement for them doing two for one for Saturday against Houston. Yeah. And the last couple of games have been noticeably better in attendance to me. That's been great. So. Yeah. Dallas's game day experience and that whole thing is not worth the price they've been charging the sev last several years. And if they want to start getting that place more full, they're going to have to lower the price to whatever the market is willing to pay to get people to come to the games. That's just the reality of the deal. In Austin, they can sell them for whatever they want because every people yeah. will pay that amount to go because yeah. it's such a kick-ass experience. Yeah. When, you, when, when your place is sold out, you can charge whatever you want. Right. That's and I, and I, and I know it sucks for the guys that want to travel down there. Uh, and I, and I get the argument that there is a case to be made for major league soccer to find some way to unify that pricing structure so that it encourages people to travel because that's part of the experience that this league should want to try to encourage. Yeah. Um, but they're also beholden to trying to make money. And that's just whether yeah. anybody likes it or not, that's what the whole point of this is, is to for people to make <laughs> money. It, I, it just is. I don't I don't hate that league wide, you know, two hundred seats for the visitors at some price idea. I think that's actually not a bad idea. You know, I agree. Yeah. It facilitates there is something to be said for the traveling fan, as you say. Um, you know, but beyond that couple hundred seats or whatever, then you're on your own that you gotta buy you know, when I went, I had to buy a seat in the regular price section, you know, too, actually. So, you know, I paid it. No big deal. Right. I got it. All right. Uh, we beat that to death. Okay. Well, thanks for the update, uh, Dan, on the score. We'll see how that plays out over time, right? Are they yeah. in extra time now? They're yeah, in 97, 98th minute. So is Open Cup two fifteen minute just standard ex added uh, two fifteen minute added uh, extra periods and then penalty kicks? Yeah, two fifteens. Okay. Which they're in. They're in the fifteens. That's okay. So. The reason why I got thrown off is they were saying ninety eight earlier, and I realized now on this scorecard they actually went to ninety eight minutes. They added oh, eight, eight minutes eight of minutes, added time. Yeah. Uh, in the second half. That's where I got confused. Okay, so now they're in the first part, half of added time or extra time. I mean. Oh, what a game. All right. Very good. Anything else we need to cover today, guys? Um, well, the Academy season is actually almost over. We have the MLS Next um, playoffs soon. So that'll be uh, uh, coming up in terms of Academy watch. And then they'll reshuffle for the next season, which is really, you know, not like three months away, which is crazy. Um, so you'll get into a window where you might begin to possibly see a homegrown or two sort of over the next four or five months, possibly. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I think this weekend, I believe, is a doubleheader. I think there's a North Texas SC game after the Houston game. I think they're playing Dose. Dynamo Dose was what they call their second that team. Was the plan originally? Yeah. 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 Is that not true anymore? Because Dose is in first I place. In North I, I Texas. assume it is. Yeah, Dose is in first place, and in North Texas is in second place. So that's a top of the table matchup after the FC Dallas game against another rival. Um, I, I've seen that Houston team play North Texas before. That Houston team is really good. So if you want to stick around and watch an excellent game, you're going to get one. Those are two of the best teams in Next Pro. Can we call them by their uh, intended Windows 3.1 uh, application name of Dynamo DOS? DOS. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think technically the logo is a two, but they refer to it as Dynamo DOS if you're into that kind of thing. Branding. Uh, they just ripping off LA. Yep. All right. Uh, well, uh, I guess we'll see how things go this particular weekend. Oh, uh, Buzz, real quick. Uh, we, you know, Dallas Cup came to a close this past weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the tournament is trying to bring itself back to its former state pre-pandemic. Can you briefly summarize for those that didn't pay too close attention how FC Dallas and the Academy and or other teams did in the tournament? The Academy, not so great. Um, only one Academy team got out of the group stage, and that was the U14s, which had the kid I really liked in it. And then they proceeded to lose against to a really bad team. Um, the premier teams, which are all the second two teams, all did really well. A bunch of them advanced deep into the Dallas Cup, managed to get to some finals and stuff. Uh, the girls' side, they won two championships. So the, the collective youth program as a whole did pretty well. The academy... Not so much, but, you know, we've talked about a million times how, you know, how gutted the 19s are. And so that caused this cascade of these young players moving up and moving up and moving up. So Dallas is very young across the board, you know, and for the most part, when you play a lot of these teams, particularly the domestic ones, of course, not the international teams, when you play these domestic teams, a lot of them, it's like, this is their Super Bowl. You know, they're going to remember forever that they beat FC Dallas, you know. And, and some of the Dallas teams had some bad luck and such like that. You know, there's a lot of excuses going on for why they didn't advance. But the bottom end of the line is they didn't advance. And that's part of, you know, the, the loss for FC Dallas is the loss of chance to get competitive good games. That's what they lament more than not winning the whole thing. Um, the bottom line is part of analysis of players, part of evaluation of potential pros is your ability to step up in big games. Dallas puts a lot of emphasis on these big tournaments in terms of their analysis of players because of the fact they play crap teams and beat them eight to one all the time during the regular season. So when you finally get up against really good teams, they really pay attention and these games become really important. So if you don't step up, if you don't take it to the next level, you don't do things to win these games, find a way as Oscar used to say, that's can be fairly indicative. So um, overall, not a great, a series of performances by the Academy, you know, in these two GA Cup and Dallas Cup. It wasn't a great Easter weekend okay. by any means. How did your uh, Wonder Kid turn out for the tournament? He got stifled. They played a team from uh, Oklahoma, o- Oklahoma Energy, um, which is a premier team, which is a division below them. And that team, it was funny. I actually did a burn on this. It was a funny, I had a funny conversation with a coach after the game because I watched the Oklahoma team play and I thought, boy, those guys are really well coached. They're incredibly disciplined in their shape. Their game plan was very clear and specific to stifle the Dallas creativity. They had one guy up top who was about six foot three and weighed (laughs) 215 pounds of muscle and he's 13. 
Oh right. My gosh. So they just, every time they got the ball, they booted it up there to him. They didn't just like hoof it long. They played it up there to him and he would shrug off like five players and knock them all down and run in on goal. Eventually that worked and they scored. So to me, I watched that game and I'm like, man, that was a really smart game plan. Their team was set up to win the game. Their, their players were happy. Their parents were happy. Their coaches were happy. They're like, holy crap, we beat FC Dallas. So the rest of their lives, their kids are going to be able to say, hey, that's, you know that dude that plays for the pro team? I beat that dude when he was when we were kids, right? <laughs> Yet I talked to this coach after the game, and he's railing on how they have – none of those kids are being served. They're not being developed. They're, there's no game plan. They didn't even try and play soccer. And I'm like, yeah, but they won, right? So sometimes I think it's an interesting question to say, do we occasionally lose sight with FC Dallas of – they're playing for this progression and for this development. They play a system. They put the kids in good spot, and they want the kids to rise up and do something to win the game, to do something in a, in a play in, a, in the Dallas way with this good movement of the ball on the ground, this crisp passing, this 4-3-3, these ding-ding-ding buildups up the field. Oklahoma didn't have any of that shit, and they won. So right. what's the object of the game? So, I mean, that's a debate you can have for 100 years about youth soccer. You know, this is the prototypical, they put their big, strong, fast, bigger guys in a position to win the game. And that's bad for the development of soccer players, definitely. But, but they advanced. Well, but, but, the, but both of those teams have different goals. Absolutely. Right? Like yeah. Dallas's goal is to grow players into pro players. And Oklahoma is to just throw kids out there and win games. And those are just, I mean, maybe I'm saying the same yeah. thing you said. But that to me is, is I, you know, you can see why Dallas would be disappointed but if that's part of the progress of them becoming professional soccer players, yeah, then they probably got something out of it too. Yeah, they did. You know, that's part of the process with FC Dallas is okay. What you know, what didn't you do? Like where where, where could you have been better? You know, we want to play this certain way. The ball's not moving fast enough. The ball's not doing this. It's not doing that. Versus Oklahoma is all about we advanced. You know, yeah. and, and there's there's a school for both of those things. They both can have value. That's why that was so weird to, to like to rip them as like it's horrible coaching. I was like, I mean, is it? It's it's horrible development, but it's great coaching because right. you won. Right. <laughs> you know, they had yeah. a game plan and they executed it. So, yeah. you know, two, it's, the, it's the youth argument, Peter. People have been having for years. You know this. It's the same sure. thing. Yeah. You know, like and Dallas plays a bunch of tiny little dudes that are amazing on the ball. And sometimes at the 14 and 15 level, they get absolutely run over because at that age group, you can have dudes that are six, three, and you can have dudes that are like four, three, you know, and, but in the long run, it'll help Dallas pay off in terms of developing your Paul Areolas and your Alan Velasco's and your Jesus Ferreras. But right now it means you don't win games in the Academy because you're smaller and younger than everybody else. That's how you get better though. Right? Exactly. Okay. Dan, anything else you'd like to throw in here before I shut this shop up? Yeah, nice to see uh, Antonio Carrera and uh, Dante Sealy make the under twenties uh, as they prepare for the uh, Concacaf under twenty championship. Okay, two kids yeah. of the fifteens also, uh, Bryce Outman and Michael. Uh, oh, how do I pronounce his name? The one with Cord- the really long name. Yeah, Cordo Telesa, uh, who's who's basically a Ryan Hollingshead clone. He's awesome, and Bryce <laughs> Outman is a uh, Alan Velasco clone. Did he break his neck trying to rescue people from an ice storm car no, accident? No, no. I mean that he can play anywhere at a really high level. Oh. He's oh. often an outside back like Ryan, but he's a really quality all-around player. They, they literally use him everywhere on the field, and he's so good that he gets called up into the national team doing that, which tells you how good he is. All right. Good for him. This is Stephanie Borden again, reminding you that Third Degree of the Podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90. 
your source for FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. Check out the new arrivals dropping daily. Gear from links around the world. Fresh Serie A, Premier League, Bundesliga, and of course, MLS and FC Dallas Club merch available now. Remember, Third Degree listeners get 20% off at Soccer90.com with promo code Third Degree. Some exclusions may apply. Dan, thank you very much. Good to talk to you again, sir. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Always a pleasure, never a chore. I take that as the compliment. I believe you meant it to be. Buzz, thank you. And thank you, sir, for hosting. Absolutely. And thank you, you FC Dallas curious fan. We'll speak to you next week on another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Tommy Boo's home. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nerd Podcast. 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 Podcast.